This week on The Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we have the writer of A Friend of Mr. Lincoln, Mr. Stephen Harrigan. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I'm with co host Nick. Yes, how I'm doing great. Sorry about that. I didn't ask how you're doing. I, how I, are you? I wasn't ready. <laughs> I dropped hey. the ball. And we are with Rail Splitter Mary. Mary, how are you? I'm good, thanks, guys. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. We awesome. uh, we haven't recorded in a while. It feels great to be back. Uh, we are lucky this evening or today to have with us Stephen Harrigan, who is the writer of the book A Friend of Mr. Lincoln. Mr. Harrigan, how are you? And thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm doing great. Thank you. Outstanding. Um, it, it feels great to be back doing the show. Like I said, it kind of feels like we spent a little bit of time off it. Um, so we do want to talk about a friend of Mr. Lincoln. Uh, first, I want to turn it over to Nick and Mary. What were your thoughts on reading the novel? It was so good. I read the whole thing. <laughs> no, it was. I love it. It's really good. Um I just love the whole dynamic. I love the time period of Lincoln's life that you chose to focus in on. Um, I love the introduction of the the new characters you brought in. I really um, got tied in and was very invested in where they were going. Um, and I loved all the Lincoln stuff, of course. So, And there's a lot more that will, I'm sure will come out in our conversation. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, it is actually, after I read it, it was one of my favorite books that I've ever read. Um, wow. the, the main character, Cage, is one of my favorite literary characters. And um, it was, I have a blog about the Civil War, and I did kind of a countdown um, at the end of the year for my favorite book of 2016, and it was my favorite book of 2016. I just oh, wow. loved how I was pulled into the world of, you know, Cage and Abraham Lincoln and Joshua oh. Speed. It was really very well written. Well, thanks so much. And, and as we're heaping praise, um, I do just want to mention what I liked most about the book was I'm a big fan of Springfield, Illinois. Um, I've got family down there. I go down. We're, we're about three hours north. Okay. Um, but like the feeling that you and me, Mary's a little yeah, Mary's bit a little more farther north. north. <laughs> east, yeah. north. Um, but it felt to me like Springfield was almost was such an integral part of the novel that it was almost like a character in and of itself. Like you could feel the energy of the of the city and you know at the time and i really liked how it was around when the capital moved there so one of the things i liked most obviously i always like when lincoln's a character because we're lincoln enthusiasts it's kind of why we do the show but i really liked the springfield uh elements and how that kind of came to life so my question for you i'm an old history teacher nick's a history teacher we're obviously all students of history i've always had the uh, feeling that historic fiction is a great teaching tool and I think sometimes my colleagues and, and other others of us in history education sometimes get a little snobbish about that and like, oh, it's got to be primary source or this that, or the other thing. And I really feel that, that you just angered the whole social studies department I may have, with that comment. I apologize if they're listening, but um, I do feel that historic fiction is a great teaching tool, and I think this work particularly does a great job because you get at a lot of the history of the time period and the people involved and the culture and all of that 
but it's still a fun story and you still get invested in the characters and it's, you know, it's interesting and you like it. So what was your process for combining narrative and history and combining fiction and nonfiction to create such, such a fun ride? Well, I, I agree with you about the, the purpose or the possible function of historical fiction and making people interested in history. That's how I got interested in history. I, I, you know, I squeaked through my high school history class by reading, uh, you know, Kenneth Roberts and James A. Mitchell and people like that. So I always had a, a fascination with the, the fusion of, of, of fiction and history. And I always have, for some reason, I feel like there's, a, there's some line you can't cross as a novelist. I mean, you can't, you can't make the history up. You can't distort the history. I mean, that you can. Plenty of people have done it, including Shakespeare. But uh, for me, it, it's there's a kind of sacrosanct element to. I don't want the reader to waste his or her time reading a, a, a novel that's where the facts aren't right. And so I, I set myself a pretty high bar in terms of historical accuracy. And you know, the process for me is for this book. I mean, it's different to some degree for every book. But for this book, I, I needed a fictional character. I needed a point of view character. I felt that I could uh, plug in at critical moments of Lincoln's life uh, during his embrigglement, as they called it back then with Mary Todd. You know, I wanted him to be the best man at his wedding you know, instead of James Matheny, who was the actual best man. I wanted him to be a participant in the duel that he almost fought with James Shields. I just wanted a guy, I wanted a kind of everyman, a kind of zealot-like character who could, through whose eyes we could observe these events. These really critical moments in Lincoln's life that formed his character and, and, and created his, you know, historical destiny. But at the same time, I, I, I wanted that character not just to be a device, but to be a real human character, a real human being. And... I had the sense or the, I had the, the I, I charged myself with the responsibility, I guess, of, 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 of having Lincoln and my fictional character, whose name is Cage Weatherby. I wanted them to have the same valence. I wanted them to be equally important to the reader. And that's a, for me, that was kind of a tall order because Lincoln obviously is your, you know, I mean, everybody's already interested in Lincoln uh, going into the book. And I worried that people might be a little bit resistant to another character and might think of him as a, as a, like I said, a device or just a less interesting character. So the big challenge for me in the book was to, was to create a kind of parallel story. Well, not parallel because these two people meet, but, but quite often, but to create a, a story in which both these characters hold your interest equally. And you know, to the I don't know what degree I succeeded or not succeeded in that, but that was my attempt in how, going into the book. How and when did you develop the character of Cage? Well, I uh, it's funny. I started I started writing him. There's a first chapter which takes place. It's kind of a prologue chapter which takes place at Lincoln when Lincoln is lying in state in Springfield. And I just sort of sat down and wrote that one day, or during a couple of days, and without really knowing who my main character was, I just knew his name was McCaja Weatherby, and that people call him Cage. And 
I didn't really know, you know what he had, why he was there, what he had, what he had meant to Lincoln, what Lincoln had meant to him. But sometimes you have to just sort of throw yourself into the book and then just clean up, up after yourself <laughs> as you go along. <laughs> and uh, but I, I learned early on when I was doing the research that Lincoln was in this poetry society in Springfield, and you know where guys would get together and and uh, read each other their poetry that they'd been writing the last week or month and I thought it would be interesting because Lincoln was a pretty interesting poet I think and you know obviously a, a, you know you know somebody who valued uh, the, the written word so I thought it'd be interesting to have a, a poet character instead of a politician so that and the more I thought about Cage the more I thought of him you know as having the same level of ambition as Lincoln did. Because this is really, to me, this book is kind of about two things. It's about friendship and it's about ambition. And I wanted Cage's ambition to be as, as sort of just as wildly hopeful and, and determined as Lincoln's, but in a different sphere. And, and poetry uh, seemed like a, a good way for him to try to make a mark in the world to me. Uh, particularly in that time and place. People took poetry very seriously. They took, you know, language skills very seriously. And so that, the more I thought about it, the more I thought about what Cage wanted, what his background was, where he came from, what he might, uh, where, the, where the points of conflict might be between him and Lincoln, where they might be, you know, I wanted them to be very close as friends but I also wanted them to be uh, to be a somewhat fatal rupture between them that I hadn't figured out yet. But you know, drama is all about conflict. I needed these two guys to be at odds with each other. Well, I, I think you did a great job, and I I really enjoy Cage, and and I don't want to steal all the thunder because I know Mary really really loves Cage. <laughs> so Mary, I'll let you ask the next question about Cage. Um, just when you were right, um, when you were writing about Cage, um, like what was your favorite part about like creating the character, I guess, and did you base him off anybody at all from history or anybody that you know, maybe? Uh, well, I've known a lot of poets. <laughs> 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 they tend to, uh, I mean, Novelists tend to be kind of frustrated people. Poets tend to feel even a little more frustrated by, by you know, searching for, for recognition, searching for acclaim, searching for a meaning in their lives. And so I, you know, I feel that, that there's something universal about Cage in terms of his aspirations, but I wanted to be specific about his background and where he came from and what he was looking for. And I, I, I had been to the Longfellow House in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, and had actually written a little article for a magazine about Long the Longfellow House. And I got real interested in Longfellow, and you know, read a couple biographies of him. And there's a little bit of Cage's of Longfellow's background and Cage's background. And uh, I also wanted, uh, it, it, I don't know, I wanted a kind of tragic cast, but not. Uh, or not not tragic, but I want I want Cage to have had a traumatic background to some degree, and uh, an uncertain future, and uh, so I just I don't know I, I don't know how you do this really sometimes you just sit down and 
you're just writing and the character you have certain elements that you you're aware of that you're dealing with that you you've carefully researched and then sometimes you know and you hope this happens the character just kind of as you know blooms in front of you as a, a as a fictional device and so he just became realer to me the more i the more i wrote and uh you know he has a strange relationship with a woman in the book uh and a kind of unfulfilled and frustrating relationship and that kind of gave me a sense of of dramatic momentum somehow between the two of them i loved writing the scenes between him and this woman named ellie who is a kind of uh kept woman uh very 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 loosely based upon a very very you know uh sketchy description by william herndon of someone that joshua speed had known and I don't know. I just I just loved writing the dialogue between between Cage and Lincoln, and between Cage and Ellie, and between Cage and Mary Todd. I just he he turned out to be somebody that that I believed in as a writer. I certainly believed in him as a character. Like I, he was very as he was as real to me as Lincoln and Speed and Mary were. In well, the book. that's that's wonderful to hear. Thank you, Mary, because it's that was the goal. I mean, and I didn't I never knew for one. Mm -hmm from one minute to the next whether I was achieving that when I was yeah. writing it. But that, that was what I was trying to do. Yeah. I found myself becoming more invested in uh, the dynamic between Cage and Ellie. And then like Lincoln truly was a supporting character in uh -huh. their evolution and where their relationship was going. And, you know, I kind of, I really got invested in that. I thought you did a great job with both of them. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I, and I agree with, with both Nick and Mary on that, and I think that it's kind of an interesting element of historical fiction where, you know, because if you involve Lincoln too much or if this was like a Lincoln love story, it's just, yeah. that's, not to say that you shouldn't do that, but that's dangerous waters to tread. And Right, yeah, I didn't want to write a Lincoln love scene. I just didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think that Cage almost becomes more real because everything that you write that's real that's him right you there's no one that's going to be like well actually the historical article say this or that yeah. because you get you're the authority you've you've made yeah, this person exactly. i had i had the liberty to invent this person and, and and i didn't feel anybody was looking over my shoulder as i was writing them. lincoln you got to be a little more careful because <laughs> you know like there are guys like you out there wait what <laughs> we would never criticize that um, i'm the hater usually <laughs> Well, and I think that's that's an interesting point because, like, you know, the, the historic fiction around Lincoln, you either have to make it fantastical where he's the central character or do what you did. And, and I like it so much because you're immersed in a world that was that he was immersed in, literally. And it's just kind of fun to, to be kind of an audience member seeing people and in, in being in, invested in people like he may have been or, or could have been. Right. Well, to me, the sorry, you go ahead, sir. You met. You were talking about Springfield earlier, and it was so much fun to to write about that place and try to to kind of uh, pump some air into it as a as a as a location because it it was so fascinating. It was it was the place everybody was coming to. Everybody, every, I mean, the the talent that came out of Springfield during that time was just incredible. You know, you know. Uh, you know, Ned, Ned Baker, people like that. You know, of course, uh, Stephen Douglas and Lincoln himself. I mean, it was just throbbing with 
ambition and, and, and expertise. And, uh, and you could just feel, you could, reading about it, you could just feel the energy of that place. And it was so much fun to, to go to visit it and walk down the streets and realize, well, these are the same streets that Lincoln walked down. They still have the same names. Uh, and you, I just really loved that process. Yeah, and I, I saw agree. you met Dr. Cornelius. Oh, yes. That yeah. guy's awesome. <laughs> He's great. He was, he was so helpful. All the people at the, at the, you know, the, the library and museum were so gracious and fun to hang out with. They were, you know, I couldn't have done this book without them, obviously. So what was your approach like when you're talking to, to Lincoln scholars when kind of presenting what you were doing, like you're writing a novel? Um, you're not researching a dissertation or anything like that. Like, did, did you find that they were into it? Were they like extra helpful kind of oh, trying to find those angles? They were so much, you know, I, I found that like, you know, academics and scholars are so much more forgiving of, of uh, you know, historical liberties than novelists themselves are. <laughs> you know, they, they're really into it, you know, and they, they were, I would sit down, for instance, with James Cornelius and say, okay, I got a problem. I got a I got to figure out what this where this how this character got to Springfield. Can you help me with that? And so a lot of it was just brainstorming with people, you know, just talking to them. And you know, uh, it's you know, I'm a I've been a magazine writer, you know, journalist for most of my career, and I've learned that the best way to get information is not to become an expert yourself, but to talk to people who are already experts. And so, you know, there's a lot of cherry picking of, 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 you know, really brilliant people just asking them questions. How can I get away with this? What, what kind of, what kind of wallpaper would be in this room? What are the, what would they be eating? What kind of furniture would they have? You know, how, how do people dress back then? I mean, I could spend the rest of my life studying, you know, uh, you know, furniture design and stuff like that, or I could just ask people very direct questions about it. I was just wondering about Lincoln's depression and how, your choice to write about it, because I know that is somewhat of a controversial area in his scholarship. It's becoming more accepted now, but um, and I like I just wondered about you writing it because it's was one of the most relatable um, portrayals of depression that I've seen. You know, just from you know Lincoln experiencing it, the depressive episodes, as well as I think Cage seemed to have some depressive tendencies in the novel as well and i'm just wondering if that's something that you know you kind of went back and forth on how much of it to include in the novel about um with lincoln well i didn't have any hesitation about writing about his his depression or his depressive episodes because it was one of the crucial things that humanized him for him and uh you know to the degree there's some discussion or some conflict about the level of that uh, you know, of, of his mental health uh, during that time. I think it's it's really clear. It's very carefully outlined in several books, including, you know, great books by Joshua Schenck called Lincoln's Melancholy and Douglas Wilson's Honor's Voice, that he was undergoing significant, uh, you know, downs of some sort and uh, and debilitating. I mean, he was, he was incapacitated and apparently suicidal. And uh, like I said, there was no hesitation on my part because that's what I wanted. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to like, you know, be a voyeur, but it, 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 my job in this book as a, as a novelist was to make Lincoln a human being. 
And uh, anytime there was a glimmer of, of, of authentic human behavior that we all share in one way or another, confusion and doubt and, and uh, you know, uh, overstepping boundaries, uh, that was just catnip to me as a novelist. I, that, you know, that's what makes, uh, that's what makes people relatable in fiction. So I had, I had, uh, I, I, to, uh, yeah, there's a controversy people have about, uh, you know, how deep that melancholy was, how debilitating his depression was. But as far as I'm concerned, he, you know, when he was a young and rather confused man and didn't know what he was going to do with his life, didn't know who he was going to end up with as a spouse, if he was ever going to get married, if he was ever going to be happy, if he was ever going to amount to anything. Those are the times in your life where you're depressed, and typically more so then than, than later. And so uh, I think his depression was rather situational. I think it had to do with him feeling that he had not lived up to who he knew he could be, uh, that he had you know, let others down, particularly Mary Todd, when he kind of pulled the rug out from under her in terms of their engagement. And so he just, he, he collapsed uh, because he, he knew he could be better than that and he didn't know how. Um, yeah, and I agree with Mary. I think he did a great job. Um, you know, I was thinking about kind of the time period. Why did you focus on this time period in his life? Well, this was the... Uh, well, for, for two reasons. One, it was a, a, a crucial formative period where he was growing up and growing into an adult and growing into, uh, you know, a man of principle rather than a man of convenience. And, uh, and also because it's not as well known as the rest of his life. And, uh, you know, I, there, are plenty of, uh, there are plenty of books in, including fiction about Lincoln's presidency and, you know, civil war and all that. But this to me was, was the most crucial part in his life. And, and it started because I had, uh, I, I was reading the Doris Kearns Goodwin book, you know, team of rivals. And in that book, she talked a little bit about this period of his life. And she quoted, uh, she quoted the letter he had written to Mary Owens from when she was living in New Salem and he was living in Springfield. And he was, they, you know, Lincoln had a way of getting accidentally engaged to people. And he had, <laughs> he had gotten sort of engaged to Mary Owens and he was unsure about that. And he, he wrote to her and said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly willing to marry you. I'm not sure you'd like it in Springfield, but you know, we, I'm, holding up my end of the bargain essentially but I mean there was this one line that just just sang to me and he said in this letter in my opinion you had better not do it <laughs> and to me that was the most equivocal <laughs> love letter in American history and it totally just hearing that line I was listening to it on audio hearing that line made me think aha I know this guy. He's so confused and so, you know, uncertain of himself and, and doesn't know how to behave that this is just a normal human being. And this is not the Abraham Lincoln I 
was taught about. This is the Abraham Lincoln that I always secretly wanted to know. He was real. And, you know, the when I went to Springfield for the first time and, you know, walked down the streets and, you know, the reality, look, looking, looking at Lincoln's house and seeing the holes in the mantelpiece where his children had hung their stockings. And it just all came to me, this guy really lived. And, you know, this was a place where Springfield in the 1830s and 1840s was where he became, you know, he, he grew up, he grew into his, his stature as a human being. He, he, he committed some sins and some trespasses that were really interesting to me. He made a lot of mistakes. And uh, so he's, he was a real guy. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't some sort of saint. He was just, just Abe Lincoln from that time. Or Abraham Lincoln, as people people tell me, you, you never use the word the name Abe. I don't know how you guys think about that. I, I seems like to me he used the name Abe in New Salem and not after that. But I, I'm I'm kind of cloudy on that. I've always I've heard that too that it was that he preferred Abraham. So that's what I I always try to condition myself to only use yeah. that. But. Um, kind of you talking about that um, led me to. Uh, another idea i was thinking about which just left me but here's the another question that i had (laughs) um i know you've written a lot about you know um your home state of texas and i am wearing my alamo shirt it's so old that it's worn out and you can't see anything but believe me this is an alamo shirt at one time um how'd you go from writing about texas a lot of texas history to lincoln um, was it just something that was always growing in you? Was there something about Lincoln that drew you? Well, I, I uh, you know, I wrote a novel about the Alamo, which took place, which happened in 1836. So I had done a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the research uh, of that period. So, you know, it then occurred to me that, you know, I started thinking about this Lincoln novel. And then I realized, well, you know, I kind of know this territory a little bit. I'd, been there. I, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've traveled in to the whatever degree I could to, to the to the 1830s, and it. I, I started to think. I, you know, the book. It doesn't start, but in an early chapter, people in Springfield get word that the Alamo is falling, because uh, you know it was a big deal. It's a big national event, and I also started to think. You know, I mean, maybe this is my Texas upbringing showing big time. But I also started to think Lincoln had to have modeled himself to some degree on Davy Crockett uh, because this guy was was who Lincoln was in a lot of ways. He was this, you know, backwoods, homespun, you know, uh, you know, kind of witty guy who was, had these sort of titanic uh, political aspirations. And, and then he gets killed, you know, at the Alamo. And, you know, what I just started to think what a scene that would be, you know, for for Lincoln to have to reckon with that, to wonder who who David Crockett was, you know, to have his I mean, there's no there's no as far as I can tell, there's no source for Lincoln for Crockett being a hero or a role model for Lincoln. But I just think it had to have been. And for him to 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 you know get the news of Crockett's death at the Alamo and 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 reckon with that and wrestle with it just sounded really enticing to me again because I'm from, from Texas but uh, but I thought it you know that at the time 
you know, the Alamo was a, was not a Texas story; it was a national story, and it didn't even, you know, it didn't even happen in the United States. It happened in Mexico, but it was uh, profoundly uh, riveting to everybody in the country. Yeah, so so we can say that you're you're a proud Texan, but your heart's in Springfield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'll put uh, words in I, your I mouth. I was divided between between Springfield and Austin, where I live. Well, I will say this: I was I was lucky enough to go to a conference last. Oh, actually, it was almost exactly a year ago, last September in Austin. And man, what a city! It was man, it was just so much fun, and uh, yeah. I wish I could could have stayed. A yeah, long you, time. If you'd stayed long enough, you would have seen what the traffic is like these days. <laughs> yeah, I was downtown, so I was able to walk everywhere, and uh, we we spent some time at the LBJ Museum, which I, re- I would recommend. Oh, cool. um, right. And I, I, you know, it's kind of got a little bit of a Springfield feel to it, being a state it, capital with some presidential ties. And right, they're very similar. You know, they're both uh, you know state capitals for one thing. Yeah, so. Right. Yeah. I mean, other Austin's obviously bigger and has the state university there, but right. um, but really, really, really cool town. So I recommend uh, recommend visiting. For sure, especially if you're into Tex-Mex food. Holy cow! Yeah, and, and barbecue. Don't forget barbecue. Yeah, yeah I, I think I had about four thousand calories a day when I was on this. <laughs> it was it was awesome. So, um, uh, a couple other questions. I you know I was trying to get get back to Springfield, um, and I was kind of um, when you were talking about walking where Lincoln had walked. I was I was talking with a student one time who asked me if I believed in ghosts, and I said I of course I don't, but when I'm in Springfield, there's like an energy. Which it right. feels, you know, like you can kind of feel it. And then I, uh-huh. when you were talking about walking where Lincoln walked and seeing like the holes that is that he had pounded into his mantle to hang stockings, like there's an energy that you feel in, in Springfield. And I felt that, that the novel did a really good job of of portraying that. And you kind of could kind of, you know, you could kind of picture those streets. Um, so did you do any research outside of Lincoln Home or the Lincoln Library um, in Springfield that helped inform the novel? Uh, yeah, I, I, I oh gosh, I, I'm sorry. It's been so long since I've researched the book. I can't remember everything mm-hmm. I did, but I went to historical houses, you know, I went, uh, and, and the one wonderful thing I did was that Guy Fraker, who's a, you know, great Lincoln scholar, particularly on the legal side of his life, took me on, on a kind of an abbreviated tour of the eighth judicial circuit. So I got to, I got to see some of the uh, rivers and branches that Lincoln would have crossed on 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 the, on the circuit, and that was just really kind of intoxicating. And, you know, of course, I went to New Salem, and I went to every Lincoln site. I went to his birthplace, and you know, all those places. Uh, I went to the, you know, obviously to his to the cemetery and saw the tomb. Uh, but you know, a lot of it, you know, I I went to the library and talked to people there. I mean, to the public library. I went uh, and and you know toured houses and talked to people about kind of material culture things and uh, and then I came home with like a load of books you know that I could uh, you know use as references and I went to yeah I went through his, a lot of his legal cases you know the, uh, the the big website with all his you know you know law cases and stuff like that so I did a you know a considerable amount as much as I could while I was there. And then a lot, a lot over the phone, and then a lot just sort of reading at my desk. I remember that question I was going to ask. Um, what was your favorite moment during all the research, or maybe like the thing that really stands out that you didn't know about Lincoln um, as you were doing research for the book? Uh, oh, there's so many. You know, the one I just told you about the letter he wrote to Mary Owens was was really crucial. I think. Uh, 
the skinning of Thomas, you know, that incident where he made Judge Thomas cry, where every once in a while, you know, you'd read about how he could be a little bit cruel, you know, and a little bit selfish. And again, those were sort of golden moments to me because I'm, I'm trying to look under the facade all the time. I really admire Lincoln. I don't have any problem, you know, saying that I think he's a great human being, but he was deeply flawed in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, the more I read about his attitudes towards slavery or his, you know, and, and his kind of uh, opportunistic political career, it, it, it was heartening in a way. It wasn't to, to find out that he was fallible was not deflating. It was inspiring. And, you know, the, the worse he got, the more I liked him. You know, so when he would, uh, he would write scandalous letters uh, to, in the newspaper about a political opponent or when he would allow himself to be maneuvered into this absurd duel uh, where his judgment was not at, at its peak, I just liked him more and more because I felt him so much more relatable in those moments. Yeah, I really like how you how you phrase that and how you and really how you show it in the book too. Because uh, we talked a little bit about this a show or two ago. How fascinating it is that he is a historic figure whose confidence and vulnerability, you know, he's weirdly confident and also self conscious at the same time. Like that line right. that you bring up about his engagement, you know, he's very very humble, yet wow. yet strong and confident when he needs to be. And I think that that's a good good indicator of strong leadership if you can be humble which uh -huh. he certainly was almost to the point of well the point with, with to a mental illness had you know to a certain degree but yet also knew uh his abilities and his capabilities and right yeah um, they were there was this strange balance between you know this this uh this this total belief in himself and this crippling self-doubt which i think all of us have to some degree or another and you know that's why he's that's why he's such a fascinating character is he, he's you know, the, he's pull, he's pulled in two different directions all the time. You know, to to this great destiny and to this possible failure. Um, I was just wondering how long from start to finish did it take you like to write it, like the research and the actual writing of it. Like how how long did that take you to do? Uh, it's hard to answer because I I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd say about three and a half years oh. altogether. But there were. Uh, you know, a lot of it, you know, people think that when you write a novel like this, you do all this research and then you write it. But for me, it was like I write a sentence, I spend two hours researching the next sentence. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know the, the, the general contours, but if, I, if I'm if i setting a scene in Minnie and Edward's house, you know, and, oh, God, I've got to go find out what they're eating. You know, I've got to find out was john j harden actually in town that day or not so you know you have an idea of what you want to write but then it you know what might take you a, you know 20 minutes to write and if you were just writing a regular novel might take you two weeks to write with something like this so it, it was a, a, a weird combination of sort of fluid writing every once in a while but mostly just really sort of clogged up historical research, you know, uh, trying to put it in into a context where it felt like it flowed to the reader. 
but it never felt very flowy to me. Well, it did as as a reader. It certainly flowed flow nicely. I, I feel. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, just for the the listeners out there, this was a spoiler free uh, conversation. So, um, I think you talked a little bit about the prologue type chapter. So you know. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. kind of handles any potential spoilers in the first two or right, three pages, yeah, yeah. right? So you you do know that you know there's something that happens where the two characters don't speak uh, for a number of years, yeah. and then obviously we know what happens at Ford's Theater. Um, but uh, I I do think that um, I would encourage our readers to to go out and, and check our the listeners. book out. Our listeners, listen. Did I say readers? <laughs> yes. I I encourage our read our listeners to be readers of a friend of Mr. Lincoln. Well, um, and I you know it's. Uh, really just a fun read and obviously it's very well researched but it feels it's a story that's just so relatable that you know it's like i said earlier you can learn about springfield you know the 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 pre-congress pre-famous lincoln um in a a really fun way so and it helps humanize lincoln like you were saying earlier and i got it came across that way to me too i feel like I understand Lincoln a little bit better after reading your your novel for sure. Thanks so, so yeah, that's how I feel too. I just I came away um, just knowing him better and knowing Springfield better too. And I've I've actually I've been a Lincoln enthusiast my whole life, and I've never been to Springfield before. Oh, but, oh really? Okay. Yeah, I'm planning on going next year. But please do. Yeah, I we'll, we'll love it. Uh-huh. But I feel like I've come to know that town, even though I've never been there before. Uh-huh. Sounds like we're going to have to do a rail splitter episode there. I think so. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite place. Let's all, let's all get together there sometime. We yeah. sure can. We can stay at Grandma Dr. Phyllis's house. She's yeah. right there in Spring Street. So. We can hang out with Dr. Cornelius if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> yep. Ranger Rose is a good friend of ours, friend oh, of the show yes, in uh, Springfield. And actually, uh, we'll be doing a show with another show with Ranger Rose coming up. She is producing a play that's performed in the Edwards house. Oh, um, wow. So very, very cool. So, yeah, stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, listeners who are readers of A Friend of Mr. Lincoln, but are listeners of the show, uh, that will be coming up. Now, every week on the show, we do have our weekly feature, which we call This Week in Lincoln. Uh, we have asked uh, the writer of A Friend of Mr. Lincoln, Stephen Harrigan, to supplier This Week in Lincoln. He actually sent his idea to me. I thought it was really cool. We've mentioned the, the, the infamous Vampire Hunter movie a couple times on the show. Uh what our feelings of that we've kind of alluded to a little bit but you were actually you shared with me you were in, in springfield around the time of the release of the film and felt that that was a very interesting time in lincolniana so why don't you share with us what that experience was like well, well yeah i was at i was in springfield i was staying at the holiday inn express and uh i i was at the library all day talking to you know the people there and 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 I think it was the day the movie came out, and of course they all knew it. You know, the the producers and the actors and had all come to to do research there, which is, was funny to me. <laughs> it's about vampires, but uh, but so I. What was so fascinating was, all those people at the library were so excited. They were not in the least bit snooty about this movie. They were just charged up to see it, and. Uh, I went by myself, you know, uh, the night it opened. And uh, what what was really interesting to me was, you know, I'd been I'd been writing about Springfield, you know, for about a year, I guess, and thinking about it and wondering about it. And suddenly there it was, there it was in this movie. I mean, and I kept thinking, oh, wait, is Joshua Speeds 
store in the right place or is that it looks like it's in the middle of the block i'm not sure that's right but it, it there was a, just this wonderful sense of uh you know the production design had created designer had created springfield and you know i i felt like i I, you know, I left the holiday Inn express i went into the met you know the 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 multiplex bought my ticket sat down in springfield illinois and then was just sucked into uh 18 40 Springfield and it was really a, a yeah the movie you know <laughs> it was about vampires you know so I I, I didn't uh, quite go along with every aspect of it but I was just really entranced by what people wearing were wearing what they were what what the streets looked like what the buildings looked like and it it, it was one of those moments where you think uh, you know there's there's a uh, there's a sense of, of synchronicity between history and fiction that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, it sort of, it spoke to me as a, as a kind of wannabe historian while it spoke to others as a kind of sci-fi fantasy. So anyway, it was just a, a fun, a fun evening in Springfield. Sure. For a very sure. specialized <laughs> purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I hear you. So, uh, any parting thoughts, Mary, Nick? Yeah, I got a question. Uh, what are you working on right now? Well, you know, as you mentioned, I live in Texas and I am about, I hope, about six or eight months away from finishing something that I've never even imagined I would do and it has nothing to do with, with fiction. It's a, it's a history of the entire state of Texas. Wow. From, you know, wow. 15,000 years ago to Rick Perry on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting for me because I'm, you know, I've always been a, a kind of halfway historical writer, but mostly a, a novelist. And so here I'm like pure historian, or at least trying to be an historian, trying to teach myself how to do that. So it's been fascinating. Wow, that's 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 quite an endeavor. So my, my compliments. It's it's large. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, what is it? everything's big in Texas, right? Is that what they yeah. say? So. <laughs> Um, and and we, we were going to schedule this interview for last week, uh, but there was obviously the hur Hurricane Harvey uh, in Texas, and you actually right. went to Houston. Yeah, um, I mean, what was I, that experience? I, uh, I, I went down there because, well, because I'm writing this history of Texas, and Harvey looks like it's going to be a part of that history. And I went down and spent some time in the you know the main you know shelter there in the convention center, and just I, I got there about a week after the hurricane hit and it was interesting because you could you could drive from one end of town to another and if you drove the right streets or the main highways you didn't see any water uh and every it looked like everything was back to business but but you know there were obviously huge pockets that were still underwater and you know an enormous un, unbelievable devastation but it was a, it's it's going to be interesting to 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 think about what what effect that storm is going to have on 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 the state's history, and of course now Florida is you know dealing with the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just what a what a one-two punch of you know epic weather events we've had. Yeah, it's been unbelievable, really. Yeah. Right. Well, it's you know I, I like that you're you know you kind of are drawing that line all the way to today, and you know it's important to note that what we're living is history also. Yeah. And I think as right. a history and, podcast, and, you know, I, it's good I'm, to note I'm that. writing this history as much as I can as a reporter. You know, trying to 
trying to be see the events that happened or at least see see the places they happened in talking to people who might have been affected by it. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's I think a key point to, to realize that history is not old, history is not dead. It's it's right. happening it, you know, a lot of in a lot of sense history is now. So um Mr. Harrigan, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really enjoyed your novel, and we really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we, along with our listeners, um, are definitely going to be looking for uh, your history of Texas. Do you have a title? No, please, uh, please think of one for me. Wow, <laughs> Lone Star is taken. Uh, yeah, <laughs> wow, that's... Texas is taken. Mm-hmm. So you know, anybody has any ideas? I'm all ears. My heart's in Springfield, but man, I'm going to write a huge history book on Texas. Texas. That's probably too long and wordy. Texas, um, like, don't mess with this book. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you that I got a long plane ride coming uh, my way here tomorrow, um, and I'm going to download the your book about the Alamo. So okay. it is on my Kindle list. Great. Well, I hope so you I'm excited. It. Right, and that one is the Gates of the Alamo. Is that correct? Gates of the Alamo. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check that one out as well. That one's already near. It's kind of like a very maybe a chapter of your Texas history. Perhaps. Yeah, there's a little bit about the Alamo. <laughs> yeah, did, did you have to resist the urge to make that a lengthier chapter because you were familiar with it more than I, I others? I had to really yeah, restrain myself in, in some places, but yeah, it, it still got it still got a lot of pages in there about the Alamo. Unfortunately, I just couldn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, you couldn't resist. All right. Well, well, Stephen Hannigan, uh, thanks again. Once again, the novel is a friend of Mr. Lincoln. Uh, we enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. We really enjoyed it. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest in it, and uh, it was great talking to you guys. Right. Thank you. We enjoyed it as well. Thank, uh, you. thank you. Yeah. Thank for your patience too on a couple of the oh, no, technology no. fumbles on our end. So we did have some yeah, technology so issues. I so had, I had a few on this end. So <laughs> all right. We'll put that on Jeremy though. Yeah, That's this his fault. Me. It's all on me. It's all on me. Uh, thank you once again. We really enjoyed the conversation. We will be back next week with another episode. So until then, keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next week.